Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Watford Buzz Podcast, the show where we talk about the greatest team in the land, Watford FC. My name is Matthew Messiano, and joining me are two Watford fans who go by the names of Jordan Weimer and Tom Bodell. How are you doing, guys? Yeah, excellent. Thanks, Matt. You nearly tripped up on your own name there, didn't you? But yes, I'm well. <laughs> I know, I did, didn't I? Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good as well. Um, okay, hands up. It was, it was my fault that we decided to do a transfer special show the day before Watford made all of their incomings and outgoings. So yeah, fair cop, fair cop. Made an error there, but we can put that right today by chatting uh, about uh, actual facts rather than speculation. And we'll be discussing that a little bit later on in the show. Uh, we'll also be talking about the issues off the field in relation to the board and Manuf and, and some fans uh, will get into that a bit later as well. Uh, but we'll start by discussing the most recent thing in our memories, which is that uh, disappointment that we saw on Monday as Watford surrendered a one goal advantage to lose at home. Um, guys, not the best performance really, was it? I think that's the thing that worried us most rather than the defeat is the fact that the performance never really looked like earning the win, even when we were winning. Uh, Jordan? Yeah, I mean, I guess if we start just with the lineup itself, I think as soon as we saw Will Hughes kind of Looking like he's going to be deployed on that left that left side of the pitch out wide. It was, I think, it was a little bit of apprehension as to what we're going to see, and then the, the real, real slow, staggered start compounded that. Um, I think it was, it's just one of those games again. We just lacked that intensity. We just started very slow, and it continued throughout the whole game. We saw a few little isolated spells, but in general, it all just looked very reactionary. Um, we didn't really see any any cohesion or pattern of play or just I think we just struggled to kind of see any identity on the pitch and it was it was real frust real frustrating one I think QPR were definitely definitely more organized they look and I don't mean organized just off the ball defensively I mean in terms of how they built up their play they targeted our left hand side Kane I thought was excellent um he got some great delivery into the box and he found space really well and he made it really 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 tough for uh, Jeremy and Gakia there and uh, yeah, I think it was just an extremely frustrating performance, but it's, it's made more frustrating by the fact that it's not an isolated one. They uh, changed the wing backs for this game, and I think that was probably a forced change. Uh, but um, it, it wasn't one that I felt too confident in. But how do you think they they performed, Tom? Yeah, obviously, obviously the two lads that would have played were not in the squad at all, Kiko and uh, Adam Messina. So you have to assume it was. Injury rather than a case of just rotating for the sake of it. I think we have quickly learned that Ngakia is definitely not as comfortable at left back as he is 
at right back and you could see that they were targeting him uh, for pretty much the entire game. They flashed the stat up on Sky, didn't they, that after 21 minutes, 61% of QPR's uh, play had come down his side mm. uh, and by full time that was 63%. Um, you know, he he is a good defender, I think, more than a kind of wing-back style Fullback in the same way that Kiko is, you know, different to Kiko in that sense. You know, but it's it's great to have those different options. But you know, even on the left, he didn't look entire. I don't think he did a bad job necessarily, but he was overwhelmed at times. I think by, as 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 Jordan says, Todd Kane particularly. You know, put in uh, a really good performance. He was up and down constantly. Put a lot of crosses in. Obviously, got the assist for the first goal, wasn't it? And. I think that was a real theme of how QPR played. They put in 25 crosses and completed 15. We put in 20 and completed seven. And I don't think we should be particularly surprised because it felt very similar to the game at Loftus Road a couple of months ago in style and in the kind of crashing inevitability of them getting something out of the game as they just piled on more and more pressure and we were unable to respond um on the other side mark navarro i still don't know what quite what to make of him because we we don't really see him very often do we Mm. and it's hard to make an honest sort of non-prejudiced judgment on him because kiko feminia has been so good and i think i probably am not alone in saying if we were to vote right now i'd probably vote him our player of the season and he just down that right-hand side, kind of coupling up with Saar, he just offers so much thrust. And, and Navarro clearly isn't the same sort of, you know, as I said, wing-back for Kiko. He's not the same sort of defender, is he? He's, you know, completely different uh, qualities and and, and, str- and drawbacks to his game. So it just it just doesn't fill you with that much confidence. And on the, and on the other side, you know, having Ngakia, who's not the best going forward, going forward on the wrong side with Will Hughes in front of him, who, although left-footed, is not particularly quick and he's not going to take a man on. It just means that we have to, you know, funnel all our attacks through Ishmael Asar, I think, and just makes us very predictable and very narrow on that left-hand side. So, you know, needs must, but it wasn't particularly inspiring, was it? Jordan, after the game, Watford manager Cisco Menez came out and he said uh, he's responsible for the game, as, as as many managers do. But he also said that he failed to prepare in the right way for the game. I mean, I'd really like that clarified. I feel like it's a, I think it's a very self-sabotaging quote to make. I'm not sure how much of that is lost in translation. It kind of feels like a very strange thing to say. Um, yeah, I mean, we did look unprepared. Um, in the sense that we 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 well, I wouldn't say so much we were unprepared for QPR. We just looked unprepared in general and how we how we play, and it's not just this game. Um, I don't feel like we weren't taking the game seriously. I just don't think we we came with the right approach at all, and I think we struggled to see that uh, you know across the whole season at times. Um, I think it's I think it's tough. It's tough to say without knowing the goings on exactly on the training ground and, and what was said before the game. Um, but you could certainly argue the players didn't look like they were fully invested not to the same degree that QPR players were at the very least um, so I mean he knows ultimately but it, it does seem a very strange a strange comment to make because it invites a, a ton of criticism that's not not necessarily a great time to do so It was one where um, we weren't sure if, if Nathaniel Chalaber was going to be involved because it was touch and go 
uh, on the day of, as to whether he would he would end up going to Leicester. In the end, he didn't, and uh, and he featured. And um, I, I felt as though he, he put in a, a solid performance, despite the fact that Watford, you know, lost the game. Yeah, I think Chalab has been a kind of quite a bright spot actually in the last few few games. I think he's done done pretty well, and I think we started to see some little bits of progression from him. He looks he looks much more comfortable. One that we touched in the, the the previous podcast too, where he's just he seems to be getting into better positions, and his, his passing is kind of being a little bit more a little bit more daring with it he's kind of looking forward a bit quicker and he's moving the ball a bit faster he's not kind of getting caught on and there's a lot of a lot of occasions in the first part of the season where often he'd receive the ball and he'd kind of look up and he would not go through the pass and he'd end up trying to shield the ball and maybe trying to win the foul and just things weren't kind of that free when free flowing with him but I think recently in the last few games he's kind of had that confidence to kind of make the pass early and it's, it's been working pretty well for him so I think he's definitely been a, a positive for sure Another game where uh, Zinkenagel you know, barely got any minutes at all. He came on the 83rd. It it seems like, you know, he's he's struggling to try and break his way into this team, but I, I'm not sure why he's struggling because, he, you know, when, whenever he gets onto the pitch, he, you know, he seems to prove to us all that, he, that you know, he, he deserves more minutes. I don't know if that's if that's just me talking here, Tom, but um, what's your thoughts on it? Got a lot of thoughts on this, Matt, I must admit, mate. Um, <laughs> he's in, I, I can't remember if we said this off mic previously or not. So the danger of, at the risk of repeating myself, there's a real possibility that uh, Philip Zinkenegel becomes the saviour without any real justification except glimpses here and there in the same way that Stephen Berghouse has in the past, and this isn't a particularly original thought, people have said this on Twitter since, and, and, and other players as well. He's only played 127 minutes in the Championship so far, and we've talked about some of the potential reasons for that in terms of already being tired, coming over, acclimatising to a new league, new country, yada, yada, yada. Um, what I can't get my head around, and this is the sort of, this is when I wish I was still covering the club and I could, you know, ask this question of, uh, of Chisco myself, is... What is it that he's seeing in the team that can't be improved by putting Zinkenegel in? Because fine, Ken Sam has been missing, so we missed that balance on the left-hand side. Uh, I, you know, I still think there are other ways of doing it, even if it was putting Joao Pedro over there. But Zinkenegel seems like the perfect person to just slot in on that left-hand side and put another wide man over there. Even even if him and Saar switch, you know, intermittently throughout the game because neither of them are really... Uh, left-sided players, you know, whatever. There there are ways around it. And I just can't understand how he can be happy with the kind of the balance and the shape and the threat coming from the left with Will Hughes there. And that's not to do Will Hughes a disservice. You know, it's just not his position. He's our best central midfielder now. Etienne Capoue's gone by, you know, at some distance. Um, so the kind of flat-out refusal to use Zinconagel from the start, and then he came on... Uh, central midfield, that, isn't it? Or? Yeah, that's it. With about eight minutes to go, plus stoppage time, and play central midfield. And I'm just, you know, I, I, I gather he could probably play a sort of number ten role, but he was he was hardly playing number ten, was he? He was far deeper uh, most of the time. So I just I just find it baffling. And this is where it would be great to just get an explanation. And I, I tweeted this beforehand. You know, if there's some, it, it would just be nice to know if there is. A, a, a really clear reason why we're using Hughes out there is it as I said you know that it goes from shifts from kind of four three four four two to a four three three very quickly and you expect Sar to push up and 
play kind of as, as a wide forward, one side of Dini with Pedro the other side, and then you, you've got a quite compact midfield three or what? If there's a reason, fine, let's hear it. But on the face of the performances, you know, which we all see because every game is televised one way or another, you know, there's probably more people watching games that they wouldn't otherwise watch than ever this season. It's very hard to marry up kind of what you see with the team selection in the in the next game. So, yeah, that's my uh, two cents. Jordan, do you want to come in on this one? Yeah, I do. It's, I say just on the just touching on the kind of use of Will Hughes and stuff. It's not it's not uncommon to see that in Spanish football. They it's it's not uncommon that they'll mm. have have a a kind of lopsided formation. You've got one attacking player on one side that's kind of got that got that more attacking commitment. And the other side, you kind of counter that with a little bit more of a more balanced wide midfielder. I know we saw something similar Flores in some respects. Yeah, we saw that to the extreme, the extreme level with Flores. But they, it's it's quite common. But I mean, another example of that is is how have he used Will Hughes? But I think there's a big difference when you use him on the right hand side because he does have the possibility to play forward very well and he can he can be creative. But if you have him on that right hand side. He can cut inside. And he can open up the pitch. He's not the most gifted athletically. He's not going to be running at players. But if you've got good movement ahead of him and you want to kind of break some lines, then having someone like Will Hughes coming in from the right hand side can be effective. And, and we've seen it. We've seen it be so. But on the left hand side, he doesn't look comfortable. Um, he's he's not having an impact on the game. And we've been waiting for him to come back for so long to have an impact on the game. For him to now be back and and basically being wedged out onto the left is really frustrating. I, I posted a picture on their Twitter of his pass map and it's it's just so it's just keeping the possession going. There's no incisiveness, there's no there's no direct play forward. It's just very short and, you know, these intermediary lateral passes aren't really aren't really putting you forward at all and not really helping the team you know, progress in attacking areas. Um so that's my kind of thoughts on Will Hughes. It's definitely a frustrating situation. As for Zinkenegel, I'm still clinging on to the hope that it's to do with a fitness issue. Um, which is getting less and less likely as time goes on, of course. And we have seen him we have seen him start a game against United in the Cup. So I mean look, for me I thought we did the hard bit by actually signing the player. It was it seemed like a step forward to identify him. Uh, and to actually get him to the club and it seemed you know I was, I was impressed with the kind of way we were moving it maybe indicated a, a change of approach from the recruitment team which is welcome in some respects um, but the, the lack of use of him has just been extremely frustrating we've been crying out for it in occasions and he's, he's done well when he's come to the pitch and I know what you're saying about the possibility of having a a Paricha style situation where you know the guy who's not available is the one you want playing or the, the answer to the problems but I do think he answers a lot of problems for the team I don't think you lose something from having him on the pitch he's got to adapt yeah and he's maybe not the most physical but technically he's one of the one of the better players and he's got a history of being productive I know the level's different, but he knows what to do in those situations. So to not utilize a player that has that skill set and just let him sit on the bench and bring him on in, in those late phases of the game just seems counterintuitive and just quite detrimental to the team. Um, Ken Semmer came on on the 67th minute and um, despite not being on the pitch for that long, probably put in a, a good shout for man of the match. He was pretty fantastic despite the, uh, the poor performance overall. And obviously he's proved to us all um, how much we've missed him. He's direct, isn't he? He comes on the pitch and he actually starts running at players with you know aggression yeah. and pace. And you're playing against a team that's got wing backs on the pitch. And they've got a back three. That's the the space you want to attack. You've got you don't want to have two strikers in the centre of the pitch that is occupied by three centre backs. You want to be attacking those those spaces in between the full back and uh, between the wing back and the centre back. And that's what we saw happen against us when we played 
in that system previously and that's where the weak point is so when you've got your talent in the wide areas why on earth you don't use them and try and exploit that I, I don't know it, it's very strange but Semmer's one that should be on the pitch and so should Zinkenagel and so should Saar we should be using these players Okay, so at the start of the show, I made my apologies about basically doing a transfer show the day before the transfers were made. Uh, My bad. So let's rectify that now and talk about the people who Watford actually did sign and also the people who they let go. Um, Number one then was Rob Elliott, who we did actually discuss in the last pod because uh, he'd already been signed and um, he came on uh, into that game that we played on Monday. He was on the bench and um, pretty much summed up what he's going to be doing for the majority of this season. So we won't talk too much about it, but... uh, um, just to just to cover it over again, useful deputy guys. No, I, I think really and truly, given um, the conditions and everything, and and you know, I'm sure we haven't wanted to spend this money on uh, bringing another goalkeeper in. I'm sure we, you know, didn't want to uh, spend too much in after even knowing how that we had to bring someone else in senior to to cover the the Ben Foster injury. I think he's probably about as good as you get. He, you know, he had a couple of seasons in Newcastle where he played a few games in the Premier League and was, you know, very, very solid, very reliable. Can't off the top of my head remember any clangers. And I follow a lot of Newcastle fans on Twitter because I used to live in that part of the world. And I think he's a very popular person up there. And I think, to be honest as well, with uh, Daniel Backman obviously being youngish and Adam Parks obviously being young. Ben Foster is presumably doing quite a lot of his work separately from those guys at the moment, such so as just to have another experienced guy who's been around the block and played not a load of games, but you know a few hundred games. Uh, you know, working with them day in day out probably is no bad thing either, and it should, as people have pointed out on Twitter rightly, mean that we never end up in a uh, Leeds final day of the 2012-13 season situation ever again. Please. Yeah. Thank, thank God for that. Um, <laughs> no one wants to see that again. Um, so, yeah, we might we signed him. And then during the pod, we announced uh, that James Garner's loan had been ended by Man United and had subsequently uh, gone to Forest. And ultimately, I guess that's a result of Cisco's move to a change in the formation. And is it one that we think we're going to end up regretting? Or is it just a, a fact that he wasn't going to get into the team? Jordan? Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily one we'll regret. I think he just didn't quite fit what we were doing right now and it wasn't the right place for him to get the minutes. So I think it moved to Forest. I mean, he started his first game there and it's it's a good opportunity for him. So I think it kind of suits both parties there and it's a shame it didn't work out. I think we just move on from that one now. The next announcement then, and I'm trying to do this in time order. So if, if I'm getting this absolutely wrong, do do point it out to me. But I think I'm doing it in time order. The next uh, announcement that we heard was Gerard Delafeu leaving permanently to Udinese. Um... A big disappointment, I think, for all fans. But ultimately, I think if we if we really look at it, we probably expected something like this to happen. I'm not sure if many of us really thought that he was going to ever grace the Vicarage Road pitch again. I mean, maybe you did. I mean, what, 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 was, your, what was your thought on this one? Um, Tom, what, what do you reckon? Yeah, uh, I can't get upset about it. You know, the, the Wolves thing was great and... There were obviously some outstanding goals and individual performances, but there was always a sense that he was above it all and, you know, it barely seemed to be a window that went past where he wasn't being quoted saying, oh, yeah, you know, I'd love to go back to Milan or whatever. Well, so would I, mate. But, you know, you just got to accept, <laughs> accept, accept where you are sometimes. 
obviously phenomenally talented player. You don't come through at Barcelona, and you know for that matter, albeit there was some business sense in doing it, re-sign for them without you know having some serious serious ability. I just don't think we ever saw it often enough, and that was why I ended up at Watford. So far as his coming back to Watford at one stage is concerned, I wouldn't rule it out even now on loan at Udinese or signed by Udinese, it, you know, it's one of the same thing. As long as he's in the Pozzo stable somewhere, ditto Pereira, ditto any other player uh, over there at the moment, you know, there's always the potential that that hand will come out and, and tap them on the shoulder and say, coming back to Hertfordshire, son, uh, you know, it's it's not out of the equation. Jordan, for you, where do you think Gerard Delafay will go down in, in the history of Watford players? Will he be towards towards the great ones or is he more of a a player who was talented but never really wore the shirt with the same kind of pride that perhaps you see the likes of Troy Deeney wearing? I'd say it'd be towards the top for me personally. I think he's obviously extremely talented and I think maybe I think maybe he got a little bit of criticism that wasn't deserved in that sense. I think he I think he did play for the team when he was on the pitch. I, I always I always had a good feeling from Delafay. He wasn't necessarily someone that kind of just sulked around. He was he he was he was positive and that he made a big impact for us in games and he helped us kind of be where we were, especially that season season under Harvey. Um and I think it'll be sorely missed. But as as Tom was saying just there, I, I don't think it really makes too much difference. He's signed permanently for Udinese. It's it's all relative. Um if they wanted to kind of, you know, consolidate their investment there and extend his contract he's not going to sign a new contract at Watford and then you know keep that loan going it makes sense to get him a permanent deal extend that contract and then you can see what you do with him in the future you've basically got that guy as a as a possible sale um, or a player that's going to do well for either side in uh, Italy or, or England so I think it's just a pot size protecting their asset and it also helps out Watford's financial fair play a little bit to have some money come over. Um, so it gives you a little bit more room to move around in as well. So, yeah, I wouldn't get too worried um, in terms of those that were hoping for Delafoe to come back. I think things still stay the same. Um, I think it was just really a reminder of things that had been to see that announcement made on a day where a lot of fans are feeling quite negative about the business that had been done so far. Okay. Uh, in this transfer window, we obviously lost Etienne Capou, who's been a, a great servant to the club and, and was obviously a very, very talented player. And there has been a crying out from fans to try and replace this guy, this this guy that's pretty much quite unreplaceable in the types of budgets that I think Watford were working with. But they, they've looked around and they've signed somebody called Dan Gosling from Bournemouth, who we all know. But was it the midfield signing that we wanted? Um Jordan, Tom, who, who wants to go on this one? What, what do we what do we think? You start, Tom. Okay. Um, he's not the direct replacement for Etienne Kapoor. And as we've explained previously, find, you know, with our budget, finding someone that's a direct replacement for him was going to be nigh on impossible. And, and as Jordan more eloquently explained previously, I think you've got to find someone that's going to do at least part of the job that Kapoor did. For me, that would be the kind of playmaking from deep uh, I think that's a far harder kind of skill set to, to seek out I think Chalabar can probably just about do the the breaking up the play and, and cleverly as well and, and Will Hughes does probably more defensive work than he gets acknowledged uh, for but Dan Gosling feels like another player who's probably more in the kind of breaking up play ratting around etc um mould than than playmaking. I was watching a bit of him prior to this on 
Weisskeks, I have to admit, he's one of those players that you know and you, you know the name and you know who he plays for. And he's obviously had you know fairly lengthy Premier League career, injury aside. He's obviously been around for a long time after coming through as a, as a very young lad at Plymouth, wasn't it? Um, but just not fully aware. And he almost just sort of fitted into that little glut of midfielders that had been at Bournemouth forever. So I'm thinking him, Andrew Sermon... Uh, I actually can't think of any more, so that's good, but um, really undermines my point. Harry, um, I believe, was there? Yes, Harry Arter, yeah, yeah uh, there are others. Anyway, little class. Yes, sort of dark-haired little white guys in the bottom. That's it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No real distinguishing features. Look like a perfectly nice bunch of lads. Would be, you know, happy for my non-existent daughter to bring one of them home, etc., etc. Um, but... Yeah, I just I don't I didn't really know what he did, and I I texted a Newcastle supporter friend of mine, and just said I think he's a bit just a bit like Tom Cleverley, you know, fairly neat and tidy, sort of sticks his foot in, gets it was one of the things he said, and a leader is something that um, Bournemouth sort of commentators seem to have said of him. He's you know he keeps looks like he keeps the ball fairly well, but nothing too adventurous or or outrageous. Um, I I don't think it's a bad signing by any means. I just think. It seems unglamorous and coming from a team that came down with us and that we are sort of inextricably linked with, um, it, you know, that, that he's not good enough for them. It's, it just seems a bit... Uh, but, you know, as people said at the time, we've we've made these signings before. I doubt many people were off their seats about uh, Ben Watson or Adeline Guardiola or Matt Conley. And they all proved, you know, absolutely... Uh, imperative mm. parts of that promotion winning side so here's hoping he has a, a similar impact rather interestingly the club themselves described him as like a, a ben watson didn't they 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 they, they kind of said uh it, it feels like he's arriving in the same sort of style that ben watson did in that sort of promotion year that we had from the championship i don't know if they were trying to sort of link that link it in and try and say look look we're gonna, we are going to get promoted this season I, I couldn't agree less on that at all though i I think Ben Watson came in at a time we had we had a very talented team and we were clearly lacking for parts of that season. We all kind of wanted a defensive midfielder, someone that could help us see out games and give you that little bit of balance when you needed to have like you know like a little bit of an anchor there that could that could be deep and they could break up play and they could help out their centre backs and their full backs when needed. We didn't have that player. The, the closest we really had was Daniel Tosher and he was he was playing deep, but he wasn't that sort of player. So he. He isn't similar to to the Watson signing in the fact that that identified a big need that we had. Um, he's similar in the sense that you're bringing in another English experienced player, but he's not. It's about the situation, not the player. And I don't think we're in the same situation now. I don't think that's the player we necessarily need. It's nothing against Dan Gosling. I think he's a pretty decent player. I think he's useful, um, but it, it's not. It's not filling the hole. Doing that would be bringing in someone that can play the ball forward. If we'd brought in someone who had a, a profile that they look forward, they can be more box to box. They can be a little bit more progressive. Or if you brought in a striker or something, then you can make the comparison to bringing in Ben Watson because we're addressing a situation of need in January, which is kind of not what I feel like we've done. Um, but I also feel like the recruitment team, they've got a very difficult job right now because in an ideal situation if you're if you're if you're a recruitment team you want to have an understanding of what your team needs and what your team is going to use 
And we might be seeing the negative effects of that with Zink and Nagel. Um, but when you have a, a changing group of coaches that's happening regularly, it's hard to plan. It's hard to plan for systems. It's hard to plan for team fit. You just end up acquiring players that are a good value and talented for the sake of doing so. Because, you know, we've gone from in the space of a few months, we've gone from a team that plays a back three and we've, we've accumulated centre-backs. We've gone for, a, you know, we've, we've got a few full-backs going on. We didn't have maybe the left back, left wing back we wanted. But we're kind of trying to build for that. And then suddenly you bring in a, a coach that's playing 4-4-2 and you, your midfielders don't quite fit anymore. So if you're a recruitment guy, you're kind of thinking to yourself, well, you know, we'll, we'll sign someone for Shishko's 4-4-2. We want that well-rounded midfielder. But then what happens in, you know, however long when we've going back to a three at the back system, we need something a bit different. So it, it's difficult. Um, but I think you can see there is some value in Gosling. As I said, I don't, I don't want to criticise him because I do think he's a good player. But it, it's hard to feel that we've been particularly astute in in the window in terms of addressing our, our areas of need. There was another midfielder that we were linked with, wasn't there, in, in Matty Longstaff. And for a while there, it felt as though if some things had happened elsewhere, that he would have potentially made the, the move on loan to Watford, but it didn't happen. Was that the midfielder that we really needed or rather needed more than than what um, can be offered by... Uh, by Gosling or, or no, it's, no, it's not. He's not. I don't. I think you get some similar things. You, I mean, you might have a little bit more from Longstaff, but then it comes with some different risks as well. And I think what you can say about Longstaff is the benefit of that for me is you, if you're going to get a player in to get a body in, if you feel like you need need some extra depth there, at least if you're getting someone on loan, it comes to the end of the season. You don't have to. You don't have to kind of ca- mm. account for them wages over the next couple of years. If you're just trying to fill a, if you're just trying to fill a hole, if you're making a signing where you feel like you know you can you can get some value out of in the future, or it's gonna you got an asset that's gonna develop over time, and that's one thing. But I don't particularly like the fact that we've given Dan Gosling a, a you know multi-year contract. And that was weird, I think wasn't it? It is. But then you have to do that to attract these players, and it's just a strange. It's just a strange approach. I don't quite get it from from a squad building perspective. I I don't quite as much as I see the value in Gosling. I don't know if he's worth what we what we gave up to get him. Maybe I'm underestimating him as a player. Maybe I'm under, underestimating what he brings to the dressing room. I know that's all things that have been mentioned, um, but I I don't know if 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 finances are so tight. It's it's interesting that we decide to to put our fine our assets into into that contract and that player um rather than taking a, a, a safer option because it does feel like a safe signing in a way but we could have been much safer by by looking in the loan market um and also we've had plenty of time to do so because Kapu, it felt like a lifetime at the guy that Kapu left and there's no doubt that we've been identifying targets for when he leaves I know, obviously, it's very difficult to operate in this window. I'm not expecting us to go out there and buy someone like Matt Grimes, but to have someone in mind that's a possibility of a loan rather than it getting down to the last day of the window, you'd hope that would be the case. And I will say I do understand it is extremely difficult to operate in this window and lots of things are going on and lots of clubs are leaving as late as possible to part with players too. So it's difficult, but I, I don't think we've done the best job. Okay. Can I just add something on, on Dan Gosling? Sorry, yeah. to just a continuation of Jordan's point there because he's absolutely right to mention his age. So he was 31 the day after we signed him or two days after we signed him. We're giving mm. him a two and a half year deal. So he's going to be, crikey my maths, that's going to make him 34 by the time his contract's up. Um, 
I'd, if we had a really young, really green midfield that just needed a bit of a war horse in there, someone that was going to go in there and, and you know, put an arm around them and, and lead them and show them the way, you know, that could be a brilliant signing in, in that sense. In, in, you know, you could, you could justify what that cost is going to be to the team over the next couple of years. But the midfield is probably the one area of the team that isn't very green at all, has plenty of experience. Tom Cleverley knows this division inside out. Will Hughes, despite starting in this league very young, has played a hell of a lot of games in this league. You know, ditto Nathaniel Chalabar at this stage as well. So, you know, if if, if it had been a, a different position, I'm trying to think of an area, I suppose they're probably everywhere we're, we're fairly experienced these days but it just you know just felt like a bit of a step backwards at a time when we'd brought in you know young players that had either been out on loan elsewhere or, or guys like Ngakia uh, from other clubs over the summer it just felt like a bit of a uh, not very fresh and also if it wasn't if there wasn't a glaring need in other positions it would feel or a, it's not if it wasn't a glaring need in other positions you wouldn't care so much you know you wouldn't feel like oh well we've got this extra player but when you know that we, there's areas you want to address and I know there's other issues I know the, the striking situation is complicated too it's not it's not straightforward by any means but you know there's there's a situation you've got to try and look at and try and work out a way of improving and if you are to bring in someone in midfield like we we could have gone through this season without bringing in another midfielder but if you are going to bring someone in at least have that be someone that is going to add, a, add something different or do something better at, in, in a certain area than than what we already have and i don't i have to have to see how he how he performs and he's actually included but i'm not convinced that gosling is going to give something that we don't have in the team already um, it's just going to be kind of more of, of something similar in, in regards to what you get from Cleverly. And I think maybe he's, I think we touched on it just before we started recording actually, but I do feel like Gosling is perhaps slightly more, maybe a bit more controlled in his play. He's not as high energy. He does get around a lot, but I think he's he's quite a good footballer. He's quite technically sound and he, he gets around the pitch really well. I do think he's an asset, especially in the two-man midfield. But is it enough of a is it enough of an improvement or enough of a change of pace to to warrant bringing in on a multi-year deal? It's, it kind of remains to be seen for me, but at the moment, it doesn't feel like our, our best use of our assets. It doesn't feel like Watford have actually signed a starter in this January transfer window, which... I mean, it felt like we needed to improve the first eleven rather than I don't know. In fairness, I would say that I would personally say that Zinkenagel could be a starter, and if you can, if you recruit someone that you feel like could be in contention to start over Saar or Sema, then that's that's that should be a good signing because they're two of our better players. So I'd say it's difficult because we've signed a starting. I I do strongly believe we've signed a starting quality player, but in a position that we have two of our best players. Um, so that is difficult to include. But I think as a part, apart from that, you're completely right. We haven't signed someone that's, that's come in to, to make the first team better. Okay. Well, let's go back to a couple more signings then. And um, we wouldn't generally spend too much time on, on under 23 signings, but it's hard to ignore these guys because of course they come with some pedigree uh, because they are the sons of two very famous people in in the shape of Dennis Burkamp, former Arsenal legend and also the former Spurs manager Mauricio Pochettino their sons Mitchell uh, Burkamp and uh, Maurizio with a Z Pochettino have joined us Um, guys uh, once for the future or do you think they've got a, a chance of featuring this season? Absolutely no chance of featuring this season unless we get to the final couple of weeks of the season and we've got uh, we've got nothing to play for, so we might as well give them a go. I, I, I presume they're not that hot on 
Mitchell Burkamp, are they? Because he's only signed a deal until the end of the season. He's 22. Uh, uh, it just seems like a, a bit of kind of opportunism, I think, in case he turns out to be good. I gather he had a trial at Arsenal that didn't um, that didn't work out. I don't I don't think he's got uh, much really to speak of of uh, as far as a career goes so far. He's say 22, but yet to make his debut at, you know, senior, um, at senior level. So, yeah, I, I suspect that's a kind of having a look at him for a slightly longer time than just taking him on trial. I'm a, I'm a bit more interested about in the Maurizio Pochettino signing because, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. He was pictured signing the pro deal with them, wasn't it? With with, mm. with his dad after he'd... Um, you know, months and months after he'd been sacked. So I presume at some point they thought they thought he was fairly good. I have to admit, I didn't know a single thing about him. And when we signed him and it said he it said he was a winger, I thought, well, that's interesting at least because um, you know might be, might give us something else in the wide areas. But they've made it very clear he's going to be an under twenty three as well. So I think he's possibly a little bit closer um, to the first team, but. I think it's just a case of uh, you know chucking some mud at the wall really and 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 seeing if any of it sticks, which is a very downbeat and <laughs> pessimistic view to take on two new young players. But uh, apologies yeah. if either of you two are listening right now because yeah, yeah luck, that's right? it. Sorry, lads. <laughs> <laughs> Based on absolutely no insight of what they're like as players, but you know we. I just, I just feel like that under twenty three group. We, we do seem to sign players quite often for it, and very few actually ever uh, come through. They're more likely to end up on loan at Woking than they are in the first. Well, team, you're just being they? honest, so... really. It's, yeah, if them players, you, you have a, you get a chance to look at them. You bring them into your setup. It costs. It, it's really no expense to you. It just gives you the opportunity yeah. to view them further. Ultimately, if you're going to be involved in under twenty three league of any capacity, or if you're going to have it under twenty three team, then you have to fill them. You have to fill them positions. So, if you have space in your, in that squad, why not fill it with someone that could potentially be something for you? It doesn't work out that you move on from it and it's it's really no no issue. So especially in the location we are, it's a good idea to kind of pick up them players from the likes of Arsenal and Tottenham and Chelsea and you know throw them into under 23s and see if it's worth loaning them. And then you just never know how it's going to pan out. It's always worth risk and it's, it's pretty low risk. So I think it's just they, them two fall into those categories for me, um, for now at least, yeah. Yeah, not not and not the only ones that uh, that we've signed either. They're just the two most high profile, I guess. We also signed um, Thiago Kukor, didn't we? From uh, AZ Alkmaar, I think. And yeah, same again. Yeah. I think it's the same again. You just you just kind of see. You might see a couple of traits you like. You might have a scout out there watching someone else, and they see see this guy, and his contract's coming up, and he's worth a go. You kind of put the name forward, and then the youth head of youth recruitment sees him and likes him. Then you just give him a go and see what you uh, see what you can find out about him. And best case scenario, you, you can make some make some money off him in the future or there's a route to to the first team potentially that's, that's exactly it it only takes one to pay off and I mean pay off in the literal sense that you pick them up for peanuts or nothing and sell them for a couple of million and it's justified you know every single one you've bought in over a 12 month period hasn't it well, you, you, you might, they you go might into the first attention. team brilliant you might get exactly, yeah, exactly. you might or you might get you, you might even get two hundred thousand pounds them in the future, but two hundred thousand pounds to use setup is a big deal too. So if you can reinvest that in any capacity, it's 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 a worthwhile 
investment in a sense because you only need one or two to pay off at a very minute level relatively to what we're operating in and it's made it's made it's worth because these these guys aren't on a lot of money mm. what i will say is though that it's uh i don't i can't think of too many examples when a son has lived up to the the same quality as the father um and i'm i'm racking my brain here uh i mean geordie cruyff you know, made it to the Manchester United first team and 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 did pretty well. But I don't. He was never Johan, was he? And who who else? That's who, an understatement. I've who, got one for you. Who else can we think of? <laughs> Ida Johnson far exceeded his father, who I'd never heard of apart from in that famous fact of him being uh, making his Iceland debut by replacing his old man. So there's one. Oh, that's but a good yes. Stat. Otherwise, we've got one in our own academy, haven't we? George Langston, is it? Who is the son of Matt Langston? Who I don't think ever played for us, but was a Watford youngster who okay. probably won't play for Watford either. But you know, it's nice. We've got another um, another lad with a famous father, haven't we? Was it Henry Wise? I think he's uh, yes, uh, son of Dennis. Correct. So probably um, already taller than him. You know, I wonder if all three lads can come together and say we're going to be better than our dads. We're going to do it. Oh, fingers crossed. <laughs> Not much hope in the Wise lad. No. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he's, he's, still, he's still young. He's still got a chance. I'm messing around. Still got a chance. Um, okay, then the last um, sort of major deal that happened for Watford, uh, and it was actually, it was another surprise, actually. I mentioned that I thought Dan Godling was a surprise. This one surprised me further uh, because I was not expecting Dominguez Quina to go anywhere other than um, just, you know, getting his match fitness up so that he could appear on the Watford bench and hopefully get some minutes. Uh, but no, he's gone out on loan to Granada. Um, Jordan, I think you were particularly shocked by this one. Yeah, I found it pretty disappointing. Um, I think I think he was a player that could contribute. I know he's had his injury problems and he's not quite been able to nail down that regular starting spot. I think he's you know, been a little bit at the mercy of a change of change of system. But I, I do think he'd have something to offer in this team, especially in those wide areas. We saw him play there under Ivic and he was effective and he had his best game that he's had for us this season, I'd say, against Preston. And he was productive and I think he could offer that, especially in a position that's actually relatively thin. Um, I know Jao Pedro could play wide as could Isaac success, but really we'd be looking at the likes of Sema, Saar and Zinkenegel to kind of play them wide positions. So to have one more option is is useful. And I also think he could be something a little bit different in central midfield too. He, he played in, in a two-man midfield under Javi Gracia on, on a couple of occasions and he looked pretty good. And that was a couple of years ago. Um, I know he's a little bit more risky with his passing and he's given up possession, but we could do with that at times. So to limit your options, I don't think it's a great, it's not a great financial boost for us. It's not like we're getting the likes of Andre Gray for books um, in terms of his, his, his salary. It's, it seems like it doesn't really benefit us that much, um, which when we're in the position we're in, I feel like we need all the assets we can have. Um, and, and to move someone out that could contribute in any capacity without really getting a benefit for it seems a little odd. Um, it's a bit frustrating and it's, it's very debatable how many minutes he'll get uh, at Granada too. So it's a, it's a frustrating topic. Um, I'm not sure I quite see the sense of it. The, the best... The, the best thought I can have on it currently is I do wonder how much of this has to do with the new recruitment regime coming in and trying to move away from some of the past 
um, some of the past signings that are brought in that they don't feel that great on the likes of him. I know there's talk of success trying to get a loan for him in, in the closing hours too. Um, so I'm I'm kind of confused by our approach. But yeah, for me, it was a bit of a, a frustrating one. Yeah, I must admit, I did not see this coming until Adam Leventhal tweeted it. Was it the day of the deadline or the day prior? It was, uh, yeah, really out of left field. I'm disappointed too because I really, 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 really liked Domingos Keener and I thought he would be one of the big beneficiaries of relegation ultimately. Um, as Jordan quite rightly says, it just it just hasn't quite worked out for him. So I suppose if he's going to go to Granada and play regularly, then then fantastic. If he doesn't go there and we can't and, and play and we can't use him either, then that is a real uh, a real disappointment. The only other little thing I'd add to this is I just wonder from the phrasing of the club's statement if this was one where he pushed for it slightly more than them wanting him to go out on loan. And I only say that because the language around it was something like Domingos Kina has agreed to join or something like that or has... It was, I, you check it out yourselves. I should really have pulled up the, the club statement in the meantime, but it just made me think, I wonder, rather than, you know, Watford have loaned Domingos Keener too, it was almost like the emphasis was on him. It, you know, I could be reading something into absolutely nothing, and I almost certainly am. But, uh, you know, to loan a player to a La Liga club, and they've been having quite a good season. They're obviously in Europe as well. Um, you just think, blimey, if he's good enough for them, then why the heck can't we find a, a space for him in our team? And as Jordan says, system changes have not been his friend nor of injuries, but he's someone I'd be desperately trying to integrate because I just think he's so different to all our other central midfield players. I just think when you're when you're a club that's looking to achieve things, you're trying to get promotion, whether it's via playoffs or automatic places, you need everything you can have available, especially during this this current situation we're in, in terms of how tight you've got to be with your financial situation and, and it's not easy to operate. I think to lose a talented player in any regards is, is disappointing. And we've already lost some this window as it is. So, you know, you don't want to see those players leave. And I'm sure he does want a loan. I'm sure he wants to play more, but, you know, he's under contract. So, so if it if it means it has to he has to wait for his opportunity longer, then then so be it. Because that could be the difference between us reaching playoffs, getting through to the next round of the playoffs, or, or achieving auto, automatic promotion. You don't know because only a couple of injuries, and you could be forced into into doing something you don't want to do in terms of using players out of position and so on. So it's it's a disappointing one for me. I, I don't blame him. He wants to go and play. That's obviously understandable. I just feel like we could have handled things a little bit differently and we've just made our team... We haven't strengthened our team in that... Sorry, we haven't... We've made our team weaker, in my opinion, and that's a negative going into the uh, second half of the season. Okay. Um, I was just about to move on to uh, the next order of business, but I had completely forgotten there was one final transfer that um, that kind of got done. Uh, I forgot about it, and I guess it kind of sums up the fact that this guy was the forgotten man almost at Watford, uh, Glenn Murray. He uh, he <laughs> has had his uh, loan uh, terminated or, or, or cancelled, or however you like to phrase it. Basically, we and Brighton sat down and said, yeah, it's okay, he can go back. And then Brighton have now uh, sent him off to Nottingham Forest, and I think it's a permanent deal as well. Um, guys, kind of... I think uh, this has been covered before, but um, I, I believe we signed Glenn Murray as kind of like a, a Deeney replacement. And when it found when we found out that Deeney was going to still be here, it was kind of evident that Glenn Murray wasn't going to get much football. But have we have we have we 
I don't know, have we made a mistake here? Because, I mean, we've got a player in the likes of Andre Gray who is continually getting minutes. And I know they're two very different players, but if we just look at the face of both strikers, one who isn't getting, who didn't get a chance pretty much uh, for the majority of his time and one who got lots of chances but hasn't taken any of them yet. I'll, I'll, have we made a mistake here by letting somebody go? See, I, I do weirdly, and I know this would probably be the opposite of most people's opinion, but I do kind of think that we have mishandled the situation. I do kind of feel like it is a bit of a mistake. I don't think he was, I don't think he played particularly well when he was on the pitch for us, but my opinion of why we signed Murray is a little bit different. If it's been confirmed it's otherwise that it was as a Dini replacement, then that's fine. But I kind of felt personally that by adding someone like Murray, who I don't think while he wants to play football, I think he would be pretty aware that it wouldn't be starting every single game and it wouldn't be many 90 minutes. It'd be a lot of, you know, substitute appearances coming off the bench and, and trying to be impactful in those situations. And that's enough for a, for a player of his age that's kind of coming to that end of his career. And I do think that in a, in a team that you're going to have, you're going to play teams that are going to sit back against you. You're going to play teams that make it difficult and being tight in the box. And you need someone that can, that can operate in the box and they can get on the end of crosses. They can be clever in their movement. And I think he still had the ability to do that. Um, I don't think we did a particularly good job of creating chances, which doesn't help a striker that's in there mainly to kind of thrive off those chances. He's not, he's not at his age. He's not someone that's going to be an all-round getting around the pitch and running down balls and pressing defenders. He's someone that you want in there in them games where you've got possession, you've got a team that's sat back, and you're trying to put crosses into the box, so you're trying to feed the ball into the box into his feet, and you've got someone that knows how to score. And it's, I think. I think he's a, a type of player we don't have in the squad. And whilst he is very different from Andre Gray, I would feel more comfortable including Glenn Murray in certain parts of the game than I would Andre Gray. So I think you just lose an avenue of attack which we could have benefited from um, and we've not really used to its full potential. That's from what I've seen anyway. Right, OK. Um, there's been a, a bit of a... How do we how do you describe it? A Twitter war brewing for some time between uh, some fans and well, uh, some other fans about whether the Podzos are doing a good job or not. Uh, I read a very interesting article by Luke Horns uh, called "I'm Not Pozzo or Duxbury Out, but I have lost faith in them." And Tom, you're going to shed some light on this subject for us and kind of get this conversation going. So I'm going to hand the reins over to you now. Thank you. I- yeah, I just, I've not got involved in it. I've deliberately stayed out of it, which is unlike me, because whenever there's a Watford matter on Twitter, I'm, you know, spouting my opinion. But I have stayed out of it and given it a bit of thought. And I just, I I understand both sides of the debate. And the debate seems to be that we should, either that we should be grateful for the fact that we still have a club and it's no longer in the hands of Lawrence Bassini, uh, and, you know, compared to the fate that's befallen other clubs, obviously Berry being one of those high profile cases, but other clubs that are still in existence and in the hands of absolute, you know, maniacs, uh, we, we should be very grateful and thankful. And if we miss out on promotion this season, then may I so what championships about our level with, you know, most of my Watford supporting life, we've been a, a championship or, or league one club. So, you know, it's no biggie if we if we miss out this season. The other side of the coin has been, you know, that's a small time mentality. We are, you know, we were a Premier League team that's been relegated to the Championship. We have to get back there and we have to do it in double quick time. And to be quite honest, the the, the hierarchy at the club has, has failed us, has let us down in some way and is, is not making good on the promises that they've made. And there's obviously been that 
that quote from Scott Duxbury's been been screenshotted and thrown around a lot on Twitter. And I, you know, I, the one thing I would criticise the club for, particularly probably above all else this season, has been and in the last couple of years, to be fair, has been a lack of communication. But I do think that if you're going to make statements, um, you know, or if you when you make statements, they then get you know used against you, rightly or wrongly, like that. You can see why they'd be reticent to speak publicly at, um, at any point. Um, my own perspective on it is this: that two the two points of view aren't so diametrically opposed that they can live together in harmony, and we don't have to be at war as a fan base and you know I don't want to come across as being you know pious or or a kind of high and mighty we should be grateful we have a club it was not that long ago that Lawrence Bassini was at the helm and we had you know just absolute chaos behind the scenes I doubt any of us will ever know the full story and that might be for the best but at the same time we should be you know we should be demanding not in a in no not in an unrealistic way, but we should be kind of, I think, aiming for ultimate. Or there's no there's no controversy here. We we should be aiming for promotion. We should be not expecting it to happen, but we should expect to be expecting to be in that uh, fight, and you know probably doing our bit to hold the 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 power brokers at the club to account. However, I don't think it's it's sensible or logical or beneficial in any way for Watford fans, particularly in this season, particularly at this time in history, to be at each other's throats on Twitter. And obviously it's inevitable because we're all watching all the games because we can and we're all you know bored out of our minds because of lockdown and we haven't got anything better to do and we can't interact face-to-face or with our mates down the pub or at the ground or wherever it is maybe. So we all sort of take to social media, particularly Twitter, and it becomes a a melting pot of well-intentioned, quite vociferous opinions. And, you know, we, we we see the kind of situation we've seen in the last week. But I just think we need to, you know, direct that, channel that kind of passion and that uh, that kind of want for the very best for the football club in a more constructive and positive way while respecting the fact that the Pozzos and, and Scott Duxbury is part of that kind of that tribe have done the very good things for this club over the last nine years or whatever it's been. So yeah, off, off my soapbox over to you, gents. <laughs> well, one of the things that Lou Orns pointed out in his article was that um, the, the Pozzos and also Duxbury have, um, I suppose mainly Duxbury to honest, in terms of statements have been saying one thing, but then doing something contrary to what they've been saying. So a couple of uh, things that he's mentioned and, and, it, it kind of on the face of it seems to to add up is that um, earlier on he said they want to recruit to make the, the squad stronger uh, at the start of the season and then uh, in the fans from November he said that they've lost their way when it comes to young players and they want to, to give young players a chance to develop and what we're seeing on the face of it is players like Dominguez Crina being loaned out good young players and, and players that are like 31 year old Dan Gosling being brought in now I'm not making those guys scapegoats or, or um, you know, criticising the decisions that have been made there. I'm just saying they are a little bit different to what he's previously said he wants to do. Yeah, I think I think it's very difficult because, I mean, ultimately the fans want answers to some questions, especially after relegation. Everyone wants to know, okay, what we could do to rectify the situation because I think a lot of fans felt they had a pretty good understanding of what was going wrong in certain areas 
um, in our last Premier League season. So you want to hear from the likes of Duxbury. And I think he it's difficult because he is trying to answer questions. He's trying to he's trying to give his opinions and his ideas of what he wants to do. Um, but it's not always the reality of the situation is it's not always easy to actually go ahead with them things. So if you don't, we don't know the reasons behind that because it's not being shared shared with us. So as soon as you go against anything you say in those public forums, then instantly you're going to be open to criticism. Um, so it's hard to judge, but I think it is fair to it's fair to comment on those things. Um, and when you do make public statements like that, it's fair that they're used against you because you know you made the statement in regards to a question that was asked of you. Um, you can vary on how how strongly you feel against about those those topics, um, but it, it's it's a difficult situation. I think now that I think one of the problems we're in now is that we've we don't really have a, there's no one single issue that we can point to to say that it's the problem. It's it's why it's why we are where we are, and it's why what's going on in the pitch is happening. There's not one specific thing, so it ends up with all all these different opinions of what the situation is and. It just ends up being a bit of a mess, but I think I think we should, as, as fans, definitely be able to question things that are being said to us. And I also do think we have to have a little bit of um, not sympathy, but we have to kind of give a little bit of room to to understand that it's a really difficult time and situation to to deal with some of the issues that we face, and they might not go as according to plan as possible. Um, but it's just a it's just a hard one, really, isn't it? It's difficult to kind of put your finger on exactly exactly what the what the tone is right now. Tom, are the the fans right to be disappointed with the season as a whole? Uh, I mean, if you just look at it on the on the face of it, a, a squad that is you know pretty decent by championship standards, not mm. performing, um, a board that don't seem to be. I don't know, acting on at least some of the things that they're coming out with. Um, and then the appointments have, I don't know, maybe been less than, than what we've hoped for in terms of management. I think that's a really, that is the question at the, the heart of all of this. And I think it's a really hard question to answer with one answer because it, Overall, oh, I suppose I'm about to do it, to be honest with you. But yes, overall, <laughs> thanks. Sorry, but I do think we have a, a right to be disappointed. But if that's a right to be disappointed because we're not top of the league playing brilliant football with a coach that we love and a team full, full of, you know, homegrown lads who are absolutely brilliant and we're playing a style of football that's, you know, making Pep Guardiola blush, then no, we don't have a right to that because we know what this division's like. We've been here long enough, as I said before. We know exactly what it's like. We know it's going to be a scrap. We know it's going to be difficult. We know that anyone can beat anyone and so on and so forth. And we also know for that matter that we aren't going to have a team full of homegrown players and we aren't going to have a coach that we all uh, know and love because they never stick around for particularly long anyway or, or never kept around for particularly long anyway. So, you know, it, but it is, I think, if you take a step back, it's one of those occasions where, you know, any fan on Twitter or, you know, pundit on the television that sees Watford fans belly aching about things is going to go, what are you moaning about? You're fifth, you have many points off the automatic places, etc., etc. What do you expect? But I think a bit like Bournemouth sacking Jason Tindall today and a lot of people go, what? It's it's kind of one of those crises that, or crises, that you can only fully appreciate and have a 
a fully kind of formulated opinion on if you're right in the middle of it. And we all know that the style of football we are watching and the performances that we are getting from a a group that we've been told is brilliant, and I, you know, I don't think it's as good as it's as it's been made out. But I certainly don't think it's a bad group of players either. Aren't enough, and over the course of the remaining nineteen games, is it for us now? The trend is worrying, and the trend is that we will not do enough to win promotion, and that is ultimately, you know, that is success or failure defined this season. So that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, the general kind of running of the club and the points that Jordan touched on are absolutely right. You know, certain promises have been made, or certain kind of um, statements have been made about kind of strategy and direction, and it's. It, as he said, you know, it's very hard to know what's going on, but what we see and what we're told don't tally, then people fill those gaps themselves and they might be right and they might be wrong. And so I think it all adds up to, on different levels and, and for different reasons, reasons to be dissatisfied. And, and as that piece by Luans, which I haven't read, but I'm going to go and read after this with my dinner, uh, said, in its headline at least, you know, I haven't lost lost faith in the the ownership or the the hierarchy at all, and I'm probably not as strong as him on it. But I I I definitely question some of the decisions, and you you know the the change of head coach is is one of those. Obviously, things weren't working out under Ivich, and again, I think people from the outside looking in would go ah, Watford lol, uh, whereas we're going no, I think there probably needed to be a change, but. If 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 Chisco was brought in to be this, you know, attack, get the most out of the the forward players, the attacking players, front foot coach, then I don't think he's meeting that brief personally. And I put some stats out on Twitter about his, you know, reign to date per ninety versus uh, Ivic's reign per ninety minutes. And obviously, it's different sample sizes, and that's why we use per ninety. But the the difference is is negligible, and in some sort of output metrics we've we've actually gone backwards so it's it as i say it all adds i could go on forever and i I don't want to do that but it does all add up to a kind of dissatisfaction and when you can't get to the game and let your frustrations out on the players which you know may or may not be your style and 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 have a you know pint with your friends or whatever it may be diet coke in my case uh after the game it's it's very easy to for everything to kind of seem worse than it is but there are definitely unquestionably reasons to be dissatisfied strongly dissatisfied maybe with this season i think that was your question yeah more or less well done you you, you (laughs) managed to do a pretty good answer there um jordan would you like to have a go at answering that one yeah i've kind of forgotten what the actual question was itself but i just say no no what you said was very good tom i think you're right um i think in terms of fans opinion i don't think I think fans should always be allowed to have an opinion and be able to vocalise it. And obviously some are jumped, some will be jumping to conclusions, some will give, you know, considered thought. And it doesn't mean that doesn't mean that either one is wrong or right. It's it's unknown. That's that's ultimately the problem. And we can talk about communication. It'd be absolutely fascinating to see um how it'd be handled if there was another fans forum again in in the near future. That'd be very interesting. Um whether or not that happens, I, I, I kind of doubt at this point. Um, but I think it's difficult because I don't think fans' opinions should be... I think it's, it's easy to look at football as a sport and as a 
as a business and think that because you're a fan, your opinion is simplistic or wrong. And those in charge and those that are in the positions of power and they're actually have an influence in the club have more of an understanding than you do and they they know what's going on it's not always the case and sometimes fans opinions that may seem simplistic or they they might be straightforward they might be correct so i don't think we can discount people's opinions either um and that i obviously as every watford fan is we're grateful for the situation we were put in but it doesn't mean that you can't expect more um we all know how it felt and i think we, as you touch on with with bournemouth i think it's a, it's a perfect example that you have to be intimately familiar with the goings on of your club to really understand some of these decisions and to really have a you know a strong opinion on them i think when you look at the general media you can't really take any of that too seriously because they're not well thought out considered thoughts on our situation um but we 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 know the situation the the fans know the situation and we all want the same thing ultimately i think extra communication would help it's obviously difficult because it's not easy to communicate those those strategies consistently throughout the season without either giving away a competitive advantage or you know or compromising yourself in some way or setting yourself up for criticism further down the line as 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 we face, as the ownership have faced so far but we, we aren't quite seeing what's been talked about. And I think if we had some idea, I, I think we went down in such a manner where it really felt like we needed a fair bit of change. And I think a combination of what we've actually put into action and the circumstances that have restricted us have left us feeling very, very similar to how we felt in the season we were getting relegated, despite the fact that we're pushing the top end of the table, we still feel like some of the same frailties are there. Um, we still don't feel like we've got a coach in place or we're, we're confident moving forward. We tried with Ivic and it's just go, we haven't got the feeling yet that this is someone that's going to be our, our long-term coach. It kind of, there's a, there's a good argument to feel like it's going just to the end of the season, then we'll reassess then. And it, it feels like a wasted year in some ways which is weird to say because of where we are in the league. But as I said, because we are intimately familiar with the the goings on, most fans are watching every single game. They're keeping up to date with the news and you just feel like we haven't made the progress that we should perhaps have done. And we haven't quite taken advantage of a situation that we've been put in, into a league, which is probably one of the worst standards of championship there's been for a while. And we've not really been competitive or as competitive as we feel like we could have been. And yes, we're in that situation because of what the Pots has done for us, but it still doesn't mean that we can't aspire to be better. Uh, a couple of questions that I'd like to to bring up from people that have, have got in touch and uh Dorota has got in touch on Twitter and she says nothing seems to have changed since Javi was sacked in terms of how Watford operates. We blame Giraldi, but he's gone. What do you think needs changing to be able to rebuild or rewire this team? We we just seem to be going nowhere. Is the coach ultimately responsible for team selection? And if you were to choose another coach, who would that be? That's a, probably a tougher question than the others. And, and does it make sense to give uh, the likes of Hungbo a go or is that too risky? That's the question that Dorota would like to know or have answered. Uh, guys, you want to have a go at answering that one? Yeah, I can. I'll have a go real quick and I'll pass it over to you, Tom. Um, in regards to what I would do to, to fix the situation, obviously, I probably have to do another podcast to do, to speak about that entirely, um, but I think ultimately you need to. I think one of what, one of the things that made the Pozzo so successful when they when they first took over was there was a there was a real idea of a plan in place. There was a there was a strategy in place, 
to how we're going to approach things, how we're going to re- how we're going to restructure our squad, how we're going to improve, you know, things off the field, stadium training ground, etc. But but ways to progress incrementally and push us in the right direction. And I think we've kind of we've lost track of that a bit. I think once we got to Gracia, I think that was that kind of season, that top half finish. FA Cup final I think that was kind of the end that was as far as we really planned I don't think we really had an idea of how to take us on to the next level how you restructure your recruitment how you kind of look into operating in different markets and attracting different players maybe looking at a different profile I don't think we quite ever made that step and we suffered for it and it's been a downward spiral ever since so I think ultimately what you have to do now is you have to try and look at how you can you can reassess how you can restructure things from from the ground up in some ways you can hang on to and a lot of it does have to do with recruitment you can hang on to those some of those key players you can you can shift things around i think i don't think we did a terrible job of that i think it has to be said we haven't done a terrible job of that we've brought in some younger players and we have we have looked to to bring the profile down and to to bring in some some good value players that might have some good sell-ons in the future and that's a good strategy but i think one thing we haven't done correctly is address how we're recruiting our coaches um now we faced a lot of criticism when we got promoted to the premier league that we went with a new coach however i think that it was an educated gamble i think it was a good decision in in on the balance of things to to go for a coach that was a, a defensive coach that you know that has a track record of, of being quite solid and that is historically very important in that first season now it's also very common that those teams suffer the next year and in doing in in knowing that we we shifted again and we tried to we tried to cut ties with Flores early in 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 the summer and bring in a coach to take us to the next step and that's the sort of planning we we really lacked um since since that kind of grassier time we haven't we haven't recovered from that and it does kind of feel like we're scrambling it it feels like we're of improvising adding little bits and pieces as we go making a few changes but there's no real kind of clear change um and i think that's quite indicative of what we see on the pitch too i just think at the moment we're in between and too many phases we haven't committed to something and that that has that has repercussions across everything in the club as i touched on earlier recruitment if you're recruiting for a coach for now you don't know you don't know what you're going to have in the future you need to have a clear structure of what you're what you're doing and that might be someone like Brentford as a template where they have an idea of how they want to play so they recruit for that and they recruit they recruit personnel their players for that and they also recruit their coaches that fit that that group of players whereas we haven't been able to do that consistently and I I think now that's a big big part of what we're what we're seeing here with uh, the current situation we're in. Once Javi Gracia took Watford to Wembley to the final of, of the FA Cup did he become unsackable, Jordan? I don't think he became unsackable. I think it just because it's no it's no secret that um, you know outside of the FA Cup, leading to the end of that season, Watford were were pretty bad, and he never really managed to turn that around in 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 the in the subsequent season. He didn't. He didn't. I, but I think I think the next step. I think in. In that situation, basically, we, we took that kind of like horses for courses approach of of recruiting, of hiring managers, which is which is fine. It's successful. But then when you get to that point, eventually you get to a point where you have to have a bit more consistency to develop a team. You, you, you've got to the end point of your, 
you've got to the ceiling of your talent group, right? That that group of players, they're they're pretty much playing at their top capacity. There, you need that you need that difference that a coach makes, and you you need to add players. But a coach can only do that with time. It can only he can only instill his his ideas over time and improve the squad like that. If you if you start trying to change everything again it becomes very difficult to meet them levels because we saw a top level of performance from that group of players expecting the the team to replicate that the next season under different circumstances is very very slim chances I think we were very reactive in Sack and Gracia I understand from a understand the reasons why we did I can I can definitely get that that we were playing some bad football and we we were we had some big flaws but we did it so early in the season without a succession plan that you know, we, we we had that reactionary decision to bring in Flores, which was a complete disaster, which is definitely where all of the all of the um, or a majority of people's questioning of the Pozzos came in. I mm-hmm. think well, that was the first point. The re-signing of Flores was bizarre because you know that's the, the sacking of Flores originally was a decision that Watford fans everywhere defended because we just we'd been we witnessed the the football and we we saw the direction we were going in so you then start to you, you almost undermines the ownership to bring him back in because you think well would if we all saw that if we're also intimately aware of what's what's going to happen and then it plays out in the exact way that everyone feared it it makes you question why that decision was made in the first place so i, I wouldn't say grass is necessarily unsackable but i do think that we we made a mistake trying to approach trying to approach hit the decision on him in the same way, way that we have with others and and thinking that we could we could bounce back in the same way. I think it was an extremely risky decision that didn't pay off in the slightest. Okay, another question in here uh, from Nick uh, at GWR underscore Nick on Twitter. Uh, and his question is pretty simple. He says, do you think Gino has lost interest? Tom, do you want to take this one? No, not at all. Uh, well, yes, I want to take it, but no, I don't. I don't. I don't agree with Nick. Um, well, fine. Um, I'll give the question to Jordan. Then. <laughs> Sorry, my toys out my pram. No, no, not at all. I, I don't think it's a case of losing interest. I think if it was a case of losing interest, he'd sell the club, or the Potsos would sell the club because, you know, for whatever, all our problems which we've laid bare in this podcast, we're still an asset to somebody. Somebody would come in and pay the money because we're a London club that's been in the Premier League recently and has Premier League parachute payments coming our way. You know, stadium is far better, Nick, than it was when we got it. The training ground, ditto. So, you know, there's enough there that somebody would come in and, and, and pay the money. I'm absolutely sure of that, even in the current economic climate. However... I understand why Nick asked the question because it's as as said earlier with the kind of lack of communication that we get and it's you know it's never from Gino is it it's always from Scott um, if it comes it, it's 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 you your mind starts if you don't know the answer or you don't hear from someone your mind starts wandering and that that's applicable in any walk of life I think so you know I think we're all we're all doing sort of mental somersaults at the moment trying to work out what on earth has been going on what's gone wrong and 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 so on and so forth I think we got probably what we wanted to hear at the end of last season I think there was a combined statement wasn't there from Gino and Scott to sort of say you know this has been this has been unacceptable this has been deplorable we need to sort it out this is how we're going to do it sort of thing it was probably quite thin on actual actions and and more sort of platitudes and what what fans want to hear or what what they might think fans want to hear but we 
need to see that in action. And I think if we don't go up this season, then there will obviously be, um, you know, absolute meltdown on on Twitter and on, on social media among Watford fans. And I suspect that those fans, uh, the fire will only be fanned further when we have to sell players to, you know, cut our cloth accordingly and, and so on and so forth. So we, at some stage, we're going to need a very clear update, I think, from the club on where we're headed and how we're going to get there. And and that ties into all the things that Jordan's uh, just, you know, outlined to, to answer the previous question. So I can see why the question's been asked, but no, I don't I don't think uh, he's lost interest. I just think we don't agree with what they're doing or don't see what they're doing and what they're saying tallying. Would it be helpful at all for Gino to actually come out and speak to the fans? Because uh, I don't think we've ever heard him really, have we? Besides potentially when he first... I think first it would be helpful. I think, I think it would be helpful. Mm. I, 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 think he's, I think he's very aware of the, the risks of doing so. Um, if I could just touch on that question myself real quick. Um, I, I don't think he'd lost interest at all. I think he's way more involved than the majority of owners. And, you know, he's, he's got an, his office is at the training ground. Like that is not common for, for owners of clubs. He is intimately involved with the running of the football club at every level, whether it's from coaching to transfers. So he's he's very aware of the situation. I think he's very invested. I think at times, I think that closeness to the club may have actually hurt us on occasion. I think perhaps we've had a tendency to maybe, maybe there's a tendency among coaches and, and managers that they can start to overestimate their squad they can start to overvalue their assets because they're around them on a day-to-day basis and i do think on occasion we've fallen victim to that i do think that's partly because we have such a hands-on owner i think that can possibly play a part and we've also seen the interfering that had happened under Felipe Giraldi, which is also linked to, to to an ownership which is very involved in the day-to-day running of the club. So I don't think there's a lack of interest. I, I, I don't think that at all. Um, I think speaking publicly for Gino would be very difficult now because I think he'd be met with quite a hostile line of questioning. Uh, so if he didn't do it previously, I'd be very surprised to do it now. But I do feel like there needs to be some statement made. I, I think the statement they made after relegation, prior to the season starting, I thought was actually very good. Um I certainly felt much more positive after hearing the club address those issues. Um, obviously, a lot of it was talk and not all of them were addressed in the manner which we kind of had had hoped. But I think even knowing that the club, I think even knowing that the club could see the problems that we saw was enough to make you feel somewhat positive because they want to be successful too. Um, on the other hand, I think we also have to try and think why is this situation happening? Because if if it's if it's always as simple like sometimes it is simple so sometimes it's not as simple and if it if if it is that simple why wouldn't they be doing the things to push us in the right direction what is stopping them what are the what are the kind of the whole what's holding us back um so it's very difficult to know unless you can actually sit down and have a conversation with the guys so i think we're always going to be stuck in this kind of situation of not really truly knowing and when you've got time in your hands and when you've got not clear answers you end up making making it up for yourself and I think that's part of the reason why we've seen the the disagreeing we've seen on, on Twitter recently as, as well okay good stuff 
Um, I'm conscious of the fact that uh, time is running out for this uh, allotted podcast that we had, we had done. So um, I'm going to direct our final questions towards uh, the next match, which is Coventry, uh, the early kickoff, uh, just a, a place away from QPR on the table. And I think that in itself sums up how seriously the, the, the guys need to take this game because I feel in some ways we maybe we underestimated QPR a little bit and, and we got punished for it. I hope that they won't be underestimating Coventry. We we can't afford we we can't afford to underestimate them at all. We can't afford to underestimate anyone because it's quite simply we haven't been good enough. Um, yeah, it's 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 a big game and it, it it has that feeling of a big game. It kind of feels like it's not far off pressure being on Munoz now, which is mental to even be discussing. But yeah. it is the situation, it is. isn't it? Um, so you kind of have that that feeling, and I don't know. I I don't really know how I feel about it. I. It's a difficult one because I, you just you just want some normality in the situation, um, but I think that starts from performances on the pitch. So I think we need to see some changes. Um, I think we need to see. I think we need to see a better selection. Something that I think we need to see a team selection which pushes us in the direction of kind of being a little bit more dominant, a little bit more offensively focused. I don't think we can continue the way we are. Hopefully. Cisco feels the same way. I'm hoping not to see Will Hughes at left midfield. It'd be great to see Semero, Zinkanego start. And, you know, we just need some positivity out of this. Having said that, we're facing a competitive team that are looking to stop us doing that. And I think Coventry are capable. Um, it's, it's not going to be easy by any means. But I just, fingers crossed, we get a positive performance. We start to see some signs of improvement because otherwise, I think it's just continue quite a negative feeling around a team that should be looking at the top end of the table and looking to do positive things and we're reasonably close considering how far we've missed on some areas of uh of the season so yeah i'm hoping for a positive tom it's such an important game now i think isn't it because after the disappointment of qpr throwing it away and the disappointment of not um not getting all three points away at Millwall in a game that I think we really should have won because they looked, you know, really quite poor. Coventry, obviously, you know, struggling to a great or lesser extent down there in 18th. You know, if we don't get something uh, in this one, then as Jordan rightly says, that it seems crazy to say it, but it's, it's absolutely true that the pressure will mount on... on uh, I've actually forgotten his name for a second, Chisco. Um, that's not good, is it? Um, and, you know, those those questions will be asked. And there are there are fans on Twitter who are already asking those questions. And I, you know, starting to have the thoughts myself that maybe he isn't quite the attacking coach that we were promised. As I say, those stats I put out earlier on, you know, it's, it's obviously it's ridiculous. He's had seven games or something. It is, you know, it's completely bonkers, but it, it just is the way it is. And there are enough games to go and there are enough points on the table, uh, on the, yes, points on the table, uh, not on the actual table, unfortunately for us, but on the table that uh, if if we don't, you know, if we go on a run of four, five, six, seven games without a win for any reason, I'm, I'm sure we won't. But if we don't, if we do, sorry, then, you know, you would not put it past the ownership to make that change, you know, we saw four coaching setups last season, didn't we? If you call Graham Stack and Hayden Mullins one for the final two games of the season, you know, they will stop at nothing to get us promoted. And uh, yeah, the question wasn't should uh, should Chisco be under pressure? Will he be under pressure? It was about Coventry, but you know, it, 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 we are at that stage. I think um, I don't think they're a particularly good side they lost to Forest in in the week um you know they've they've kind of changed system 
quite a bit. They don't seem to score that many. They can sit. They are quite leaky, and I think we saw that in the the game at Vicarage Road. They they still you know have a bit of a bit of a bit of threat, and wingbacks get very high and get up and down and cause problems. And we had problems in those areas um, in the the QPR game on Monday. So uh, I hope we have learnt our lesson. And we go there and get back on get back on winning ways and, and you know and, and maybe shut a few people up and 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 settle things down with a with an important win on on Sky and in, in front of some neutrals as well as as well as Watford supporters. Yeah, that was verbose. They it's keep tough. picking us, don't they, Sky? We, we, we must be entertaining to them. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is interesting. Um, yeah, I was also going to say it's quite. I do find it quite. It's quite a difficult decision when you come to, when you talk about. We talk about coaching and, and you know sacking Munoz if possible, or, you know, previously Ivic. It, it is difficult because we do have a, a, a group of players that are talented enough to win games, even if things aren't going smoothly, even if we're playing quite poorly. Because how many of our performances this season have we said, you know, oh, the first half was slow or we looked poor, we got we got the result in derbies away, those sorts of performances. It does make it does make you question. It's very difficult. To, it's almost harder to identify those negative things or negative aspects of, of the coaching when you when you are just good enough to scrape through and get results because ultimately you do have, in certain occasions, you have the better team on the pitch and that can be enough at times. So it's it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because we, we need the time to see the coach actually coach, but then you also have to kind of be, you also have to kind of act in a, in a tiny manner when you're, when you're pushing for promotion in some capacity so it's going to be fascinating to see what we do but just based on the track history of things it was not at all surprising if that pressure does kind of turn up a little bit just after this weekend okay good stuff my thanks to john and jordan for joining me once again you can find those guys on twitter at jordan Wyman and at tb burdell it's been a long old podcast for you today so I one last thing for you, oh one, one last thing. thing go on then jordan what is it danny graham is retired so i just thought we'd uh oh. that announcement's just been made so i just thought we'd uh oh that is give, that a, little, is give a little shout out to danny while we're yeah. here yeah you know, he was actually a, a a real legend wasn't he for the club during his period of was. one of my favorite players at the time yeah it's excellent yeah he was bloody excellent. Shame he was shit for my second club, Sunderland. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, would you take him back if if he uh, if he was still you know in in his prime or? Would... Oh, in his prime, a hundred percent. Yeah, I would. Yes. I mean, I'd consider it now, to be honest with you. But um, <laughs> in his prime, fantastic. Yeah. Do you know what? Right, it, we almost need someone who's just going to stick chances away, don't we? That you can you hang your hat on to do that. You're like a Glenn Murray. For- for, yeah, exactly. For all his <laughs> for all his faults, Danny Graham, and the fact that he's thirty five and he has just retired, having been in League One and not scored in fourteen appearances this season, um, he he, you could rely on him to do that, couldn't you? To be fair, and not and to harp on Gray, right. not to harp on Andre Gray anymore. But are there many people that wouldn't feel more comfortable in the right situation with Danny Graham being on the pitch ahead of someone like Andre? Gray? It's it's true. It it might be from the bench. It might not be. A, I'm it's not saying I want Danny Graham on the pitch, but. It's if that that says enough to me, but I don't know. There was a certain type of determination that you you felt you got from him when he came on, like he left everything on the pitch. And I I don't know if I'm feeling the same when Gray comes on. Maybe it's because I'm already kind of in my head feeling like uh, oh not Gray again. Maybe I'd be feeling the same if it was Danny Graham. If it, Danny Graham hadn't been scoring goals, you know. But... I I do feel like. We, we've seen some barren runs of strikers. We've seen Odin Nogalo, he went for a real a real rough patch. We just couldn't, he just couldn't get things going. And it was really, really hard to watch. 
I just don't have that same. I don't have that same feeling with Grey. I, wait, don't get me wrong, it's it's harder to watch, but I don't have the same level of of sympathy for it. And I don't think I don't think it's just down to his off the field stuff. It doesn't help at all. I think that doesn't help opinion of him at all. But I think it's just. I don't even just blame him. I also just—I think it's—it's it's crazy that it's still being thought of as a viable option at this point. I think it just—it's unfair on him in some way that he's being played as much as he has been because it just compounds the whole situation. It's just you know got to a real frustrating point. I wonder would we feel the same way if he had been brought in on a free or for something very very low transfer wise? Because I remember—and this is going back a little while—I remember feeling the same way about Nathan Ellington that I did about that I do about Andre Gray and part of that was because at the time he was our record signing and I was expecting him to come and deliver and he just never did um and that was 3.5 million I think back then I, I mean I I look, I don't think you feel the same only because to me he'd have been moved on from quicker the only reason that he's still part of the situation right now is because We've we've not taken opportunities to move on from him because we didn't want to take a loss, and then we've gambled on the fact that it will turn around and things will pick up. And then, if we were to move on with him, maybe it would be you know something closer to the value we got him for. But it's just gone down and down, and it you know it, it's a gamble that's not paid off. I think when it comes to the player on the pitch, I think you forget. But I personally forget. I don't think about the transfer fee because it's not relevant to me. Um, it, in, in a sense you're talking about the player on the pitch and what they're producing for you and I think if Andre Gray was a free I would feel the exact same way but I don't think the level of frustration would have reached this point because he wouldn't have been kept on the pitch we wouldn't have had to we wouldn't have feel we wouldn't feel so much that we're failing and, and you only really feel like you lose that investment once you give up on it if that makes sense powerful words to end on there Jordan um, okay then well thank you very much Jordan Weimer thank you very much Tom Bedell uh, you can find those guys on Twitter at Jordan Weimer and at TB Bedell uh, we'll be back again to chat more after the Coventry game we might not go on quite as long as we have today but um, I hope you've enjoyed the chat uh, either way um, so until then enjoy the rest of your week and from Tom Jordan and myself it's goodbye for now Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.